Schultz for that great theme song, and thanks to you for checking out the latest edition of the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz. On this edition, we have interviews with three different people who are inspirational, doing great things, and are pretty interesting overall. And that's Tyler from the band Theory of a Dead Man, professional wrestler PJ Black, and singer-songwriter Mark Cohn. First up is my interview with Tyler from Theory of a Dead Man, and the latest album from his band is called Say Nothing kind of a misleading album title because these are meaningful songs that are really about everything not just nothing and the band is coming up on its 20th anniversary tyler and i spoke about that what's coming up for theory of a dead man and i really got to know a different side of him really a funny guy an interesting and nice and pleasant and patient guy that you may not know from his music was generally serious hope you enjoy the chat darren what's up Hey, great to connect, and congratulations on the new album. It's coming out in a couple of days. Um, how long has it been done? Oh, it's been done for a while, man. We recorded this uh, April, May last year. Yeah, it's been forever. <laughs> and I understand that you made the album overseas in England. Was that the plan all along? Yeah, we made our last one there with Martin Tereffi in London. That's where his studio is, and... Uh, we first tried to talk him out of it. We're like, why don't you fly to New York? And he's like, no. But uh, what, it's just amazing over there. We have such a great time that we are so excited to go back and uh, do it again. And your producer, Martin, what was the album or project in general that drew you into wanting to work with him? Yeah, you know, it was actually our A&R guy, Pete, who, who brought him up to us. And uh, I went and looked him up. And I Googled his name and a photo came up of him and he looked like a mad scientist. He was wearing like a, swe- a sweater vest with a tie. I'm like, this guy's hired. I don't even know what he's done, but I loved his look. Seriously, it was just like something about him, just the way he dressed I was into. And I was just like, this guy's going to do some crazy stuff. Let's, let's get him. <laughs> so the rare kind of case where the A&R guy had good advice about the album. Yes, exactly. Ironically. Yeah, no, Pete's actually pretty good. He, you know, he listens to the demos and he smart he knows uh, you know he kind of caters to the sound and goes okay you know instead of going with uh, just a rock producer he goes well you know what you guys are kind of doing here maybe a little different let's use a different kind of style producer and he kind of threw me some names and and martin kind of was uh, i think the best pick and the album is called say nothing but obviously the songs say a lot in terms of a message and the lyrics and what they mean and all that when did you come up with the title with relation to making the album uh, we were in the studio. I think it was Dave Brennan, the guitar player, that came up with it. Um, we have uh, a few times now named albums after songs uh, or song lyrics. I think that's kind of been our whole thing. The whole career has been about that. And ironically, the the title is not about uh, the song at all. It's more, I guess, about 
us trying to tell people to just shut up and listen, just especially nowadays in 2020, there's so much trolling, cyberbullying, and people just leaving negative comments everywhere that say nothing was kind of like what we're trying to tell people. You know what? It would be nice if everyone just stopped spewing garbage and just uh, just listen to one another. I think that's kind of our message. And there's a lot of touring already announced for 2020. Will you be playing a lot of the album on the upcoming dates? No, it's tough. You know, we this is our seventh record. So, you know, with our fan base and, you know, we honestly just try to cater to the fans and we tell fans that we say, look, when you come see us live, we might pay one, maybe two songs for the new record, depending. But uh, we honestly, we have such a catalog now. It's It really is tough to do that. And to be honest, I, I don't think the fans want to hear that. I think it, if I was a fan of a band went saw them play and they played like six songs for their new album, I'd be like, boo. <laughs> I'd be like, play right. the classic. So that's, that's what we do, you know? And you bring up an interesting point about having that big catalog. When I look at your discography, every three years, there's a new record. Literally every three years. And next year marks 20 years of the band. When you started the band, did you know that this was a thing for the long term? I, I, th- I think I did. I think when we signed our record deal, you know, we all quit our day jobs. Me and Dave quit our day jobs uh, the day after Christmas. And, uh, and we kind of were just like, that's it. I'm never getting a day job again. I don't care what I have to do. Kinda, that was kind of our deal. And so I don't know. It's always a surprise. Obviously, we are super lucky to be able to do this, you know, for a living. But uh, yeah, we kind of made that pact years ago and we stuck with it. And what was that day job, if you don't mind me asking, that you quit? Yeah, I worked at a glass place. We made, uh, uh, it was a glazier, I guess is what they call it. So I worked with glass. It was actually a really cool job, man. I, I built a lot of things, worked with a lot of glass, got cut a lot. Uh, and I got my, uh, my journeyman card, they call it. You have to go take testing and stuff. So, uh, you carry around this little card with you. And, uh, I guess, I don't know, I guess that was going to be <laughs> my career, but the music thing worked out. So, uh, I can always go back to it, I guess. And looking ahead to that anniversary that I mentioned, are there plans to really embrace the 20th anniversary thing? Or is that just more of a made up American thing? Really? We'll probably embrace it with probably some naps or something (laughs) we're all noticing as we get older that that um we're starting to get find more injuries like we the last tour we were on dean our bass player after one show he he said he heard some pop in his foot on stage and then he was like the next day he couldn't walk and (laughs) i'm like start stuff's falling apart after being on stage for 20 years so uh yeah we'll probably celebrate it by relaxing i think hot tub and speaking of relaxing, what is life like for you outside of music? Because you've been pretty steady with making an album every three years. But of course, there is a lot of idle time during the day on tour when you don't have to do interviews. Well, there's a lot of dichotomy. So, I mean, a couple of guys in the band are family guys. They've got, uh, they've got kids. and A lot of the time is spent with that. Uh, but yeah, when, when we're home, we don't really do music. We, it's kind of the opposite. We go home and we don't get a lot of time off. We relax. I've gotten into golf a lot, so I, I try to do golf trips with friends. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting that we try to go home and uh, and and relax and try to get away from everything that we enjoy. Ironically, but then when we go back on tour, we're so refreshed and excited to get back out. And being a rock guy in the golf game, have you ever crossed paths with Alice Cooper? 
Yeah, you know what? I've never golfed with Alice Cooper. He did uh, he did sing on one of our songs, and I went over to his house, and they had to push uh, push the session a few hours. And I'm like, yeah, because he's probably golfing. Probably didn't move his tee time. And I kind of wished he would just invite me out to play golf beforehand, but I guess he didn't know I played golf. So there's always next time. Are there a lot of golf people in your music circle in general? There is, man. There's a lot of people who play golf. Uh, especially when you go in like these little fun tournaments and stuff, you rent a lot of uh, industry people, but other band guys too. Um, uh, I, I last couple of years done a golf tournament uh, in Florida and Josh from the data members come out and played. And so it's, uh, and I think last year it was a uh, drummer from seven dust came out and played. So we, we try, we try to get some band guys out. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. In closing, any last words for the kids? For the kids, you know, you, you one day will be looking back and going, man, why, why did my knees hurt all the time? So enjoy while last, kids. Well, thank you very much for that answer. Looking forward to seeing you in Newark and hopefully a New York gig soon. Really, thanks for your time, Tyler. You got it, man. Thanks, Darren. Outrocast. Next up is my phone interview with PJ Black. People who watch professional wrestling probably recognize PJ from his time in WWE's Justin Gabriel, but he also did time in other major companies over the last two decades. PJ recently signed a multi-year deal with Ring of Honor, which is an independent wrestling company that not everybody listening to this podcast is familiar with. But those who are big wrestling fans will know that it's been responsible for some of the WWE's biggest stars of the past few decades. Daniel Bryan, Seth Rollins, Cesaro, etc. They all got their start working with Ring of Honor. And it's very interesting that PJ Black could work at the highest of high levels with the WWE and decline an offer to go back there to choose to work with Ring of Honor. We explored a bit of that in our interview we also talked about his life outside of wrestling, which also is pretty darn interesting. Hope you enjoy the chat with PJ. Hey, PJ, it's Darren for your interview. Still a good time? Yes, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How's it going for you today? Oh, very well. Thank you. Well, I'm massage, so I'm feeling very relaxed. That's great to hear. But one of the reasons I wanted to speak with you is you just signed a new multi-year agreement with Ring of Honor. What is it that keeps you there at ROH? Oh, there's quite a few things, you know. Um, I think for the first time in my life, I actually made a pros and cons list because I had a couple of other offers on the table. And where I am right now in my life, you know, a few things, certain things matter. And there's so many other wrestling companies out there. So, you know, there's some good money to be made everywhere. But, you know, you got to decide where you want to be, where you think you can have the biggest impact. And, you know, for me, it it was creative freedom. And uh, I looked at the, the Ring of Honor roster and I looked at the talent that they that they re-signed and I was like, wow, I can have amazing matches with every single one of these guys. And I really believe in the product. And I think that this is going to be a big year for Ring of Honor's growth. Who is some of the talent that you really feel strongly about that you like to work with in the future in Ring of Honor? Um, all, the, all the young kids like Sub Gordon is amazing. Uh, Bandito is amazing. Dragon Lee. I think those three guys are the future of professional wrestling, you know, and, and the fact that Ring of Honor signed all three of them to big contracts, it, it's amazing. You know, it just shows that there's, there's some, some high hopes for, for Ring of Honor this year. And you've basically worked with every big wrestling company around the world over the last two decades. And it's amazing to me that you've been wrestling more of your life than not. Was there ever a plan B as to what, you wouldn't, what you'd be doing with your life if you weren't a wrestler? 
Um, I actually got a, a master's degree in sports nutrition, um, as sports science too. My that's that's my passion. My passion is actually nutrition. I was actually a while ago gonna get my when I was injured two years ago. I got injured in a base jumping accident, and I wasn't sure if I was ever gonna wrestle again. So I was actually looking into doing my PhD because it would be super cool. If people legit call me doctor. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is. I mean, that is a backup plan. But uh, you know, uh, I always tell kids to always have a backup plan. And you know, my mom made me go to college to get my degree in case something happened. But you know, in the same breath. When you have a backup plan, you don't put all your energy into something. Um, this is this is not to say like you, you cannot get injured or something like that or uh, some other unforese- unforeseen circumstances, but you know what I mean. You know, like <laughs> it's always good to have a backup plan, and that was mine. Have you opened up a practice, or is that something that you're in the process of doing? No, I don't have a practice or anything, but I mean, I help. I've been helping people with nutrition advice for a long time. I was a personal trainer for five years too before I got signed with WWE. So. You know, um, and my training methods are very unorthodox and very different to most people. So people, people like variety and people like the, the way that I do things. You know, some people don't like the way that I do things, but everyone gets results. You know, I mean, I was, if I was never be able to wrestle ever again, I'd probably become like a team doctor for one of the big wrestling companies. That's, that, that, that'd be, so I can still be involved in wrestling, you know, because I do love this stuff. Was DDP yoga ever something that was on your radar in terms of getting back into shape? Um, I did it for a little while. I mean, I've been doing yoga for years. So, I mean, DDP yoga is just a, his his take on, on yoga, you know? Like, I, I do a bunch of different variations of yoga and Pilates and stuff like that. So, I've been doing all that stuff for years. Well, back to you in your wrestling career. It's also pretty amazing that you were able to wrestle against Bret Hart in Madison Square Garden. Is that one of your proudest accomplishments in terms of your career? I mean, of course. I mean, I, I grew up watching Bret Hart, and I love Bret Hart. Like, from the first moment I saw him, I told my dad, I was like, man, this guy's going to be world champion one day. And he was, you know. And at that at that time, that era, guys, his size weren't really main event status, you know, but he changed the game in a lot of ways. And um, people don't realize that. And so, yeah, just to be able to be in the ring with him is super cool. And just to be able to share some stories with him, is unreal you know for me that that was was kind of marking out in a way (laughs) well looking back at everything though the nexus was literally a decade ago and for a lot of people that'd be the peak of their wrestling career yet you've done so much in the last decade is there overall an accomplishment that you're most proud of within your entering career Uh, that's a tough one i think that the thing that i'm proud of mostly is is still evolving and still getting better every single day you know a lot of people kind of they get to tv and then they kind of just phone it in when they go back to the indies or they go to other companies and they just don't have that same drive anymore. And I understand that, you know, it's, it happens because it's such a tiring lifestyle. It's a very tough lifestyle. A lot of people don't realize that, but the fact that I've, I've come this far and, and, you know, like I'll be 40 next year and I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel like that's probably my biggest accomplishment and, and still growing and still evolving as a, as a performer, as a wrestler, as an athlete, you know, in and out of the ring actually. And you mentioned before sports uh, medicine is your passion and something you'll be doing for the long term. But in general, what is life like for you outside of wrestling? Um, it depends. Like lately, we're getting super busy right now. Ring of Honor has quite a few things booked. And, uh, you know, I'm exclusive to Ring of Honor in the United States. But I have a lot of international bookings. Uh, I have a show coming up in South Africa in my hometown. And in the same month, I'm going to Qatar, Dubai and we're running a show in Barbados as well. So apart from, from Ring of Honor and all the international stuff, when I'm home, I really just like to relax and, and kind of like work on my body. 
you know, like I take really good care of myself. So like I, I just got back from an hour massage where uh, they, they put me on a bed of quartz crystal with some light therapy and I do cryotherapy uh, I, uh, daily. Um, I just, when I'm home, I just kind of like try to take care of my body because my body is what's going to, you know, push me through the next few years of wrestling. I've kind of seen it go both ways where people who are wrestlers who were on weekly television for years and years and years only hang out with other wrestlers. And then I've seen wrestlers who don't really hang out with people when they're not working. Which one are you closer to? I'm a little bit of both. Uh, I was always that kid in school too. I would hang out with the jocks, the nerds, you know, I would hang out with everybody and, and my friends would be like, yo, you got to pick a group. And I was never like that. I never attached to one specific way of thinking, one way of life. You know, I, I have, a lot of friends in wrestling. I'm one of those guys who's friends with everybody. Uh, and But I have a lot of friends outside of wrestling too. You know, like my, my girlfriend is like, how do you have so many friends? Like she's just flabbergasted by like how many friends I, I have. And, I, and she's always trying to get new friends. I'm like, I'm trying to get rid of some. <laughs> All that said, is there something that you wish more people knew about you beyond the ring? Um, maybe just what I'm into in, in real life, you know, but I, I think I make that very clear on on instagram lately for a long time i was scared of 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 showing that side of me you know like the real side and and talking about the real things that i care about and that i believe in and you know now uh, I'm, I'm very open about it like you know people ask me questions all the time like i've been micro microdosing psilocybin for years and years and years and now it's only becoming a big thing you know and you know because you couldn't talk about stuff like that years ago because it was, it was very taboo now that it's legal in some states and, and you know, people are doing, the, the FDA is actually doing studies on all these things. It's a, it's a brand new era. And, uh, you know, now, now I can finally be open about stuff like that. And, and I've, I've helped a lot of people throughout the years with, uh, you know, like my own methods and therapies and, and nutrition things that I make up. <laughs> so now that I can just be open with it, that's, that's I, I, I wish more people can understand that side and, and realize it's, it's not a gimmick. It's, it's really who I am. So it's not a wellness policy concern anymore, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Great. So since you've given me so much to work with, in closing, any last words for the kids? Oh, man. Uh, follow your dreams. Follow your passion. Don't let anyone tell you any different because uh, also at the, in the same breath, respect your parents, uh, but they don't know what you want out of life. You know, a lot of parents try to force their kids to do to love their dreams and not the kids' dreams. So, you know, take, take advice from people, but follow your passion, follow your own heart, because only you will know what that is. Last, but definitely not least, is my interview with Mark Cohn. The music of Mark Cohn has been in my life longer than most things that I'm familiar with, to be honest. My brother Adam is and was a singer-songwriter, specifically a piano player and a singer, and growing up, he always played and listened to Walk In in Memphis and True Companion and other great songs by Mark. And fast forward a couple of decades here, Mark Cohn is still at it strong. Now, we had the pleasure of talking, or at least I had the pleasure of speaking with him, a couple of months before his gig at City Winery in New York City. He has an annual gig there on Valentine's Day, but we focused on so much more, like his latest album, which he recorded with members of Blind Boys of Alabama, what's coming up for him, his creative process, and so forth. Great guy, great musician, and I think you're going to like this one. I'm here to help promote the upcoming City Winery show you have in New York. Are you doing that one solo or with a full band? That's with a full band. 
gospel band and a great opening act and maybe even a special guest. We'll see. Cool. And will you be playing a lot from Work To Do? Because I know that's your latest album. Playing at least one song from Work To Do. I mean, this show isn't with the Blind Boys, so it's hard sometimes to do the songs that I wrote with them in mind, but not have them there. Um, so we can do the title track and, may, and certainly others that we did together uh, of my older songs, but the three newer songs are kind of hard to do without the Blind Boys, but we usually do the title track, no matter what. Does Work To Do still feel like a new album? Uh, how long did you spend making it? Well, we didn't spend very much time. It's only three new studio tracks and then six tracks that were just taken directly from a live performance we did for PBS uh, a couple of years ago. Um, so it really was, it started out as an EP. It was my intention to try to write a couple songs for them that we could collaborate on as singers. And um, once we heard the, the PBS show, we thought, well, maybe this could be a full-length album and make it sort of a hybrid, part recorded, uh, part part studio and part live. And um, overall, it, it just took a couple of weeks to put that together. And if I've done my research correctly, your album before that was a rarities compilation. Do you have a lot of songs in general just sitting around, a lot of old recordings? I don't. I don't. In fact, I was even surprised to find those. Um, the truth is I write so much less than I used to when I was younger. Um, back then I had 15, 20, 25 songs sitting around. Um, but now it's not the case. I have fragments of songs, but not fully completed work. Did all that ever lead you down the path of wanting to write for other artists? I know that you have done that, but some artists take that more seriously than others. I would say I take it less seriously than some and more seriously than others. Um, yeah, I, I usually don't do well with collaborations, whether it's for my, for my record or for someone else's. I think the, the collaborations I'm proudest of uh, that were not for me to sing are things I did, wrote for the Blind Boys and for the great soul singer William Bell. I contributed to his most recent record, which I think is brilliant. Um, so I, I don't go looking for that, but if it happens, often I find an assignment an interesting way to get me back into writing. So somebody who's been following you a long time knows that the first album was the Grammy winner and the platinum seller and all that kind of stuff. And of course, there's all that pressure to have hit after hit. But at this point in your mm. career, I'm sure you can sustain yourself off of performing live and just doing a, live, uh, a new album every couple of years. I'm curious when things turned around for you that you could kind of be a cottage industry and not need to chase hits like that. <laughs> well, I think you just do it long enough you know, people will keep showing up. Um, that's, that's the key to me is can you make a live show work, make people remember it, want to come back the next time, bring some friends that don't know you the next time. That's how you do it. You just keep playing and, um, hopefully you get better. Hopefully your audience grows. Um, but that's the key. Well, was the last album that you did in the traditional industry since uh, Join the Parade from 2007? That's the last full album of original material, yeah. And in general, was that the last time that you felt kind of pressured to follow the typical thing of album tour, 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 album tour, that kind of cycle? No, man. I really, except for my first couple of records, I haven't really followed that rule at all. In fact... I've spent more years in my career off the road and not making music at all than I have making it. 
Um, it's only in the past, say, five to six years that I've been consistently on the road for 100 shows a year. Before that, I would take off five, six, seven years, not do a gig, not make a record. Very often it was depression or anxiety or some form of a nervous breakdown that was taking hold. Um, but sometimes I was just in completely uninspired. So I've never felt like I could or should follow that cycle. It just wasn't possible in my case. So looking ahead at the rest of 2020, is it another 100 gig year for you? Probably, yeah. I think we've already got about 50 booked. So, and that's just through, I think that's just through May. So um, I'm going overseas with the Blind Boys. We're doing a couple shows together this summer. I'm doing some of my own shows there. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's going to be another busy year on the road. And then I, I, I'm trying to arrange, and I think I can confirm that in the, in the, at the end of 2020, I'm going to be doing a Songwriters in the Round show with Sean Colvin and David Crosby just the three of us on stage together. So that's going to keep us busy too, if we can make it work. Wow. That would be everything coming full circle. Cause wasn't David Crosby on your second album singing backing vocals? He was, he was. In fact, I met him uh, the night I won my Grammy. So I went up to him to tell him how much I loved his song, Carry Me, along with many others. Um, but we've been close friends, fast friends since then. He's, he's recorded a couple of my songs uh, with Graham and without, and, uh, I've been lucky enough to get them on my re- a couple of my records, too. And with doing 100 gigs a year, that, of course, isn't 100 days on the road. That's more like 150 days on the road. Once you, you know, do the logistics of all the flying in and flying out and travel days and all yeah. that. Is there much well, life for you outside of music and family? Are there other hobbies or businesses that you do? Not really. I mean, you know, I love playing tennis. It's a sport I used to play a lot. I can't play it very much anymore, but I love that. Um love going to see tennis events too. It's just, think it's a beautiful sport. Um, I still listen to music. I'm always looking for, you know, new, new people that I haven't heard before that, that might move me. So I spend a little bit of time doing that. Um, nothing else is occurring to me in the moment. And I love, I mean, really, as, as if you're talking about family, I have two young boys, age 17 and 13. I have two older kids as well, but my boys are complete basketball fanatics so one of my favorite things to do right now is to watch them play basketball on their various leagues and teams from school and outside of school so i spend a lot of time when i'm home going to basketball games so all that said we've covered hobbies we've covered the city winery and the gigs for 2020 and so forth Uh, are there recording plans for this year or is that really based on when you feel inspired it's both it's both. Yes, I have the plans, and I'm learning slowly but surely how not to just wait for inspiration, but to actually wake up and get to work. Um, and sometimes it just sounds contrived and uninteresting, and I leave it. Uh, sometimes I push through and keep working on something that sounds like it sucks. <laughs> but um, that's part of the key, right? Just keep, just keep writing, and hopefully something good will happen. Here's my, I have a few songs that I like very much, and if that becomes a, a full-length record, I would be a very happy man. And two ask questions, and then you're a free man. And the first one is, you mentioned before <laughs> that you're consistently looking for new artists. Are there any recent or new artists that really have taken you? You know, they're not new in particular, because a lot of these people have put out 9, 10, 11 records, and I just haven't been aware of them. But um, 
in comparison with a lot of the stuff I've listened to from the 60s and 70s all my life, they're new. So um, I love the Wood Brothers. I don't know if you know them, but I'm a big fan of their records. And there's a singer-songwriter who's got at least six or seven records. Uh, he's from Ireland, and his name is Foy Vance. You know that name? I know the Wood Brothers, but I don't know the second one you said, so I'm going to have to do some homework there. Yeah, man. He's, I can't remember the name of the record of his I love, but it has a song on it called She Burns. And his name is Foy, F-O-Y, Vance, V-A-N-C-E. I think he's terrific. So those are two. Homework to do, as I said. <laughs> so in closing, Mark, any okay. last words for the kids? <laughs> no last words for the kids. <laughs> last words, standing. Thanks for listening to the Paltrowcast with Darren Paltrowitz, as produced by PureGrainAudio.com. Theme song by Steve Schiltz. Audio mix by Mark Pirro. Until next time, have a great Shabbos.